You're listening to The Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. Today we spoke with actress, director, writer, producer, and activist, Sophia Bush. Sophia is a legendary activist, who's also the host of amazing podcast Work in Progress, and a Nelson Mandela Changemaker Award winner. Unlike most of my interviews, this one has more of a before and after feeling to it. Sophia and I originally spoke on January 13th, and we had planned on releasing our discussion far earlier, but the coronavirus upended all of that. It's still startling to think how much life has changed in just a few short months, let alone the last four weeks. Two days earlier, on the other side of the planet, a group of Chinese scientists had just released information about an obscure disease. Here's how Sophia Bush felt on January 13th, 2020, which was itself a surreal day, before the GOP-controlled Senate's kangaroo court trial of Donald Trump. Take a listen. Sophia Bush, how are you doing today, friend? Hello, sir. I'm doing well. I'm... I'm a little exhausted, which wasn't my hope for the start of the year, but I saw this great meme earlier today that said, man, the first week of 2020 was a long year. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Why would you be tired? You know, you're just uh, working constantly, an activist constantly, um, acting constantly, um, and, you know, obviously one of the most active social media users in the world. And, uh, you know, no big deal. It's just, you know... 50 jobs that you have to do in one day in the span of 200 hours. Um, it would take, right. (laughs) I, uh, I, I do do a lot and you know, at the end of the day I did sign up for most of it and it feels important to me. I, I think a little bit of feeling tired comes from work and a little bit of it just comes from the state of the union. You know, it's, it's a strange time. Things are, coming unhinged and it's just so odd to me that for whatever reason this this president gets a pass for so much abhorrent illegal unconstitutional and really just petty childish behavior that is so not becoming of of a leader it's it really takes it out of me and I and I know it takes it out of you too and I'm not trying to bring the people down but that's just where I find myself today. No, I, that's a an understandable spot. It's good to feel like we're, we're not alone. You know what I mean? Like we yeah. we understand, we share that that burden. Um for the folks that don't know about you, I'm sure they're googling mm. you and reading up on you now if they don't uh, and they also have been living under a rock. Um, if they don't know who you are, but if they, if they don't like, can you tell me a little bit about your acting career, how you became, I, I don't want to say famous cause I hate that word too. I, I don't, but like, that's what you are. So uh, how do you, how do you kind of rise to fame? Where'd you uh, come about from? Isn't that such a weird word? I, I was with some girlfriends this week. Uh, we had to go away cause I had this work thing to do and they came with me and we were walking and, and this girl ran up and wanted to talk about some work I've done. And one of my friends, when it was done, looked at me and said, God, it's just so weird. I forget that you're famous. And I was like, yeah, same. It's so weird to me. Um, cause you know, I'm still like, uh, an awkward 
kid who reads too much data science and uh, doesn't think of herself that way. But but yeah, the the sort of public facing career came about. Uh, I was a philanthropy chair at USC, you know, just studying journalism and political science. And um, I'd been working. I'd, I'd been kind of hustling as an actor in L.A., uh, where I'm from, and was working on some pretty cool things through college. And then the summer after my junior year in college, I booked this TV series called One Tree Hill that was this huge – it began as this sort of cult classic uh, – teen drama and and just became this massive show about people and their relationships and family and at times it was ridiculous and at times it was really poignant and excuse me and uh, I got to play this really kind of iconic beloved woman and she is beloved by many but perhaps no one more than me I, I fought tooth and nail to make her this incredible person in in all of her ridiculousness at times and it was it was great and you know through the span of that was making movies and working on other tv shows and uh was on helped launch this tv show called chicago pd that i was on for four years which um i ultimately quit because it was a very toxic working environment uh for me at least and I decided that I wanted to do things with my career a little bit differently. And I started producing. I, I had already been a director. Um, I started producing and I'm developing projects. And I launched my own podcast and opened a business with my best friend. And uh, I've been doing a lot of wild things. I've been on essentially you know, a year and a half worth of a speaking tour, just got back. I spoke at Oxford in the UK and uh, just got to speak at CES and I'm heading out again in two weeks to, to do another thing in Atlanta. So there's there's really a lot of amazing, amazing stuff happening, you know, outside of even just the film and television world. Um, I'm excited about that world, but I'm excited about the rest of it too. And, and it's a nice place to be in this place I find myself now where I busted my ass and now I get to do a bunch of things that I love. What's your favorite acting role you've had so far? Oh my God, that's so hard. I know. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so tough. It, it kind of depends. I, I don't know that I could pick one, especially with TV because you do so many, you know, right. hundreds of episodes of something. So I have, I have kind of standout moments. You know, there were episodes of Chicago PD I was really proud of. I loved working on Law & Order SVU with Mariska. I, I really loved doing this film called False Positive that I did this year with Alana Glazer. It's really strange and dark and... Um, oh, I love Alana. Make, She's wonderful. Yeah, Alana's the best. And it's really, it's going to make people think. And and we just had such a good time doing that. And she wrote the movie and it, it was wild. Um, there have been so many cool things, you know, as an actor that I've been able to do. And then crazy things just as a as a human person that I've been able to, to do out in the world. So it's going well so far. <laughs> why, why uh, activism like uh, as well? I know that you obviously had worked in the nonprofit realm before and you knew, or sorry, no, you had worked in college as a chair or something like that you had said, mm. but, um, but you, why activism? Cause sometimes it can be 
I guess, risky being in the entertainment business, like you want to please your audience or whatever. And you, you take very clear um, stances on things. And it really uh, obviously helps a lot of efforts. But what led you into ki- kind of political activism or activism in, in, in general? I don't know how else to do it. You know, this whole idea that as an actor, you should really work not to offend anyone. Well, injustice offends me. Sexism and the insane state in which we find our criminal justice system to be in in America, dictatorships around the world, those things offend me. If if you don't want to watch a TV show that I did because I have an opinion about human beings de- deserving to be treated with equality and fairness and, and children deserving access to medical care, then cool, don't watch my show, bro. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I, I don't understand why everybody is so touchy about it. And I, and I certainly remember, you know, very early on in my career, people telling me, you know, you cannot be this political. And I just thought, look at Jane Fonda, Mm -hmm. look at Gloria Steinem. Look, what are you talking about? I can't be this political. And I don't think, again, I don't think justice should be quote political. I don't think the environment should be political. You know, the idea that in our current democracy in America, you have the GOP fighting to roll back environmental protections. This is ludicrous to me. The environment and the devastation it's facing, the wildfires in Australia, they don't care if you're a conservative or a liberal, they're coming to burn your house down. You know, we we have work to do for the planet and, and there are things that should really supersede party, but there are so many people in power who are making so much money on advertising and on clickbait and on all of these things who are running the world in ways that the average person like you and I and and our listeners often don't have any understanding of because why would we, you know, we don't operate like these sort of dark profit machines. And I think we have a moral responsibility to use whatever resources we have at hand to make the world neighbor for our to make the world better, rather, for our neighbors. And this idea that I'm supposed to care more about not offending some ad executive who might have hired me for a brand deal who maybe doesn't want to because I called out the president for essentially saying that he assaults, not essentially, for saying that he sexually assaults women whenever he feels like it because he's famous, then I don't want his money either. You know, I I just don't, I don't know when we lost our way to the point that fighting for each other became risky. Right. And helping each other and helping your neighbor. And and also, I, I don't get the criticism. You hear this all the time. It's a Trump kind of quote where he's like, oh, like all these act, these Hollywood types, they don't they don't know what they're talking about. And I talked to our mutual friend from Schitt's Creek uh, in Hampshire about um, you know how she uses her megaphone for good, and I say if you use a me- if you have a megaphone, then use it. You don't know when it'll run out. You don't know when st- people stop listening. Um, mm-hmm. So use it for good and try to actually do something. Because actually, some of the actors that I know are some of the most astute and knowledgeable people. Like um, that on the issues, they just know up and down more than some of our legislators. And it's it's just it's good to have them out in front. They they can speak in front of people. You know, um, they're good for cameras as well. So I, I, I don't uh, I don't buy their their little excuses. But um, well, uh, I'm, I think I'm, I'm less apt to care whether someone's good in front of a camera or not. I agree with what Emily said. Look, you have a platform. You better do something with it other than promote just yourself. But for me, 
what bothers me is this idea that, you know, this thing that you see a lot online, this stick to acting. Because my thought whenever I see that is you don't know me. You don't know that I studied journalism and political science in college. You don't know that I've worked on multiple presidential campaigns. You don't know the amount of research that I do. You don't know that I can talk to you about policy, both foreign and domestic. You, you don't know. And no one says to a doctor, stick to practicing medicine or a bank teller, stick to working in the financial sector or nobody does that. There, there, is an, there is a desire, I believe, to diminish people who garner any kind of public attention because they're afraid of the power that we might be able to wield. And when you look at what's happened historically, it has always been up to artists and athletes to create change. And whether we're talking Josephine Baker or Jackie Robinson, whether we're talking about the the fists in the air, protest at the Olympics, whatever it may be, Colin Kaepernick, Megan Rapino, it's up to us to do something when we have cameras turned on us. And I care so much less about anyone who might judge that than the people who are afforded attention and don't do anything with it. And I think we're really entering into an age where being apolitical is no longer an option because the reality is that everything is political. Every dollar that you spend is political. Everything that you do with your life says something. And we've got to show up to the polls and we've got to show up for each other in the way that we show up when, I don't know, a new Star Wars come, movie comes out or, or some new sneaker drops. You know, we we have to realize that the real power and the real cachet is in participating in our democracy. And and so anytime that somebody wants to tell me to, you know, stick to acting, I just ask where their area of political expertise lies and would they like to discuss it with me? Because I'd be as curious to learn from them as perhaps they would be to learn from me once they understand what it is I know. Right. You also, I saw you on, <laughs> funny enough, I was like, Oh wait, what what are you doing there? I I think I saw you on PBS around the Democratic debates. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I was at the, I was at the debates and, and uh, Newshour. I did an interview with Newshour and um, yeah, they're they're lovely people. I, I'm a big PBS supporter. Yeah, it was a, a, an awesome interview that you did. Uh, is there a candidate in the field that you like out of any of them yet? The most. Look, I like the most a lot of candidates. I, I like every candidate who's not Donald Trump. First and foremost, right, I right. think that you know we we've got to get out of office a man who would go against co congressional authorization and quite literally destabilize the world uh, because he's trying to garner favor with senators who he believe might protect him from impeachment. And by the way, I'm not speculating. He said that's why he did it. So it's shocking that he hasn't just been automatically removed from office given the um, the gross negligence with which he operates. But I, I like a whole lot of people. And I also realize that there's plenty of people who are doing well right now who might not be my perfect candidate or other people's perfect candidates. But if we let the perfect be the enemy of the good, we will set the rest of the world on fire. And we've got to stop. And so for me, while I have personal leanings and people who I really, really adore, I'm also out here supporting any single person who needs it right now. I I don't care who wins the nomination. I, I have preferences, but I don't care. I just care that they help us right the ship because 
you know, we're, we're on the Titanic right now and we can see the iceberg and we're just not, we're not paying attention. And his, his kind of trauma campaign of relentless upset is I think exhausting people and people are becoming desensitized to bad behavior. And it's, it's really unfortunate, you know, even the names that he's calling Democrats on the news this week, talking about, you know, these people being disgusting and all these other words he's throwing around. Um, I wish I had the exact quote in front of me, but uh, it's pretty shocking. And, and someone I follow uh, retweeted the pull quote from the article and said, remember that time Hillary Clinton used the word deplorables and, you know, the world imploded essentially. And I, and I said, you know, what annoys me about it is that she said that racists and misogynists and she, she described some people with really horrid behavior and said, you know, those are the people I call the basket of deplorables. And it's like, yeah, I think you're deplorable if you're a racist or a homophobe or a misogynist too. If you rape people, you're deplorable, period, end stop, you know, full stop. What are we talking about here? And so it's it's so odd how the, first of all, the context is often ignored and how some people in the fight are are held to these ridiculous standards that aren't even grounded in reality and and some are just allowed to behave like aspiring dictators. I I don't I don't quite know what to do with it, but I know that when I look at those realities, that's why I'm very willing to say even if the Democratic nominee for president in 2020 is not my favorite candidate, I could give a shit. I'm I'm here for the world. I'm here for my neighbors. I don't I don't need a personal win as much as I need for us to have a win for the community. Absolutely. That's why uh, me personally I can't cuz I wrote that book a book series about a shameless plug. Uh, I I wrote that book series about presidential candidates. I am not taking a side until um, the nominee. And so whoever the nominee is, I'm going to back 100% yep. till then I'm working on the Senate and laying groundwork and fighting Trump. Um, mm-hmm. can, can you tell me about I'm the really Senate races, by the way, just before we move on, they're sure. so important. We need to flip the Senate. We need we need a check on the government, period. End of story. Again, you know, when when Mitch McConnell has the balls to go on the news and say that the Senate will side with the president before he's seen a shred of evidence, when, by the way, we all have eyes and ears and we can watch and read the news every day. We've seen this stuff happening blatantly out in the open that's that's not a person who deserves to hold a position in government he's not looking to protect the constitution and to provide a really really important check to power he's looking to continue increasing his personal wealth in ways that should virtually be impossible for a person making his annual salary but he's making a whole lot of money you know, we, we need to do a much bigger cleanup of the government. I mean, it's why I'm excited to support Amy McGrath. She's running against him. It's why I'm so thrilled to support Cora Newman, who's running for Senate in Montana. She is an incredible woman from the state of Montana. She is progressive. She is also smart. She's gathering indigenous leaders and farmers and women in the state and families and talking to them about what they need and and she's really fighting for all these people in such an incredible way. And it's people like that who I'm really getting excited about in addition to the presidential. You know, 
yeah, the country the country needs dedicated human beings at every level of government. Right, not part timers, not people who golf for thirteen out of fourteen days for sixty six hours. Um, you know that, that which is the most brilliant corrupt scheme I've ever seen, where you have the golf course in a place that you also own that you stay at where you Mm -hmm. have to pay for security full-time and you make money off of the money that's spent there from staff and security and everything else. So you're making taxpayer, you're you're making money off the taxpayer money. It's very uh, brilliant. Good, good for them. It's probably one of the most corrupt things I've ever seen the government do. You, you decided to put together, I'm a voter. What, what is, uh, tell me about that organization because I know it's extremely important, obviously coming uh, with the election up uh, in 2020. You know, after the presidential as I think so many of us did in 2016, we just felt lost and devastated and, and, and really disheartened with how much this war on education and access that, that has been thrust upon all of us for many years by, by the right in particular, what that, what that's done to our understanding as a country of civics policy, um, how many people have been convinced, you know, all the data that came out of the 2016 election talked about how many people were convinced by media, paid media, aka ads bought on Facebook, fake news, that their votes wouldn't matter. So they stayed home. Um, How many young people have been discouraged from voting schools uh, have been caught, uh, including in Texas last year, Uh, or I guess it would have been 2018, sorry, leading into the midterms, there was a school in Texas that was caught refusing to register uh, seniors in high school who were eligible to vote. I mean, this is just crazy. And so some friends of mine and I sat down and we don't all come from the same backgrounds. And um, there were a couple of women in the room the, the day that we met for the first time who definitely have come from more conservative backgrounds. And we all just said, look, this is a whole other thing we're fighting now. And what are we going to do about it? And so we launched I Am a Voter. It began in living room meetings once a week. And now we actually meet in a friend's office in a conference room. She's very generous and gives us a great space. And we are a nonpartisan voting rights access and information organization. Um, Obviously, I, I have my personal opinions, as does everyone who works on it. But the point is that People need to know when to vote, where to vote, how to vote. And I don't mean who to vote for. I mean, actually how to vote. There are so many people in in these campaigns that are being run to disenfranchise voters. So many people who show up to vote and find out they've been kicked off the registration or they're being told that they're a registered address and their ID doesn't match, whatever it might be. There's a lot of corruption going on. And we realized if we didn't get simple and target this stuff at a base level first, what was it going to mean going forward? And so we have done an incredible amount of work. We we initially thought we were going to do this uh, as an sort of activating project for the midterms. And by the time we got to the midterms, we saw how much impact the organization was having, how much media we were able to earn, how many companies we were able to get to donate their time and their space and their resources and We've built an incredible chat bot that you just text and it gives you all of your registration information. It's not annoying, but it will tell you if you're registered or not. If you need to re-register, it will register you. If you are not registered, it will give you information on your polling places and your voting locations. And it's it's been really exciting. And while 
I don't believe I'm at liberty to say how many people we've been able to onboard. It's a lot of people. And I, I genuinely believe that if we have the access and the information, we all will make a difference. Where can uh, we find out more to get involved in regards to the website? I am just pulling something up right now. Uh, I want to give you, sorry, you're going to probably have to just edit this little bit out, but I want to. I have good producers. It'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're good. Um, great, great, great. So I just wanted to make sure I had the numbers right. I'm a little dyslexic and I always like to have them in front of me. Um, so you can go to IamAVoter.com to get involved or the simplest thing you can do is text VOTER, B-O-T-E-R, to 26797. That's 26797, text VOTER. And we can get you all hooked up and make sure you've got the information that you need for the upcoming elections. And again, it's open to everybody. It's nonpartisan. So just keep that in mind, folks. Um, so so it can spread. you can spread it to any friend. It doesn't matter. Political party. It doesn't have a bend to it. Um, so make sure you check it out. I am a voter.com. Um, if you, how do you think this all ends for Donald? You know, just in, in your assumption, I, my thought is, I always thought that he would eventually give up, want a plea deal and resign in regards to, in return to a plea deal. Um, I don't think that's going to happen as we're edging closer and closer. Um, do you think there's any chance that the Senate removes him? I think if the Senate has any con- concern for American democracy and for the Republic and for the Constitution, then yeah, I think they remove him. I don't think that's the same as feeling hopeful about it. Right. Yeah. No, I, I'm not my, hopeful about it either. Yeah. My hope is that with enough public pressure, you know, Americans do not want this man leading the free world. Americans are embarrassed by this person. And and when you look at what he's doing with Iran, I mean, he is rolling back not only protections here for the environment and for people in our country, but he is rolling back global foreign policy progress. And that is unforgivable. So I really hope that something comes of this. I agree. And I agree with the public pressure that if enough Americans get together and uh, peacefully rise up, then then I think that, uh, you know, anything is possible. And, and I really, I mean, these, these people are willing to support Donald Trump as of right now. So if people don't think that they're willing to flip on him real quick and act like he was never there, like, uh, come on, I, I don't, I don't buy that. They'll do anything to save their jobs, I think. That's just my I, thought. I Look, I think that they all will do just about anything to save their jobs, but I also think they've dug themselves some very, very deep holes. You know? Yeah. They've, yeah. they've stood by him through things that I, I'm just so shocked by. Yeah, especially, uh, you know, the assault allegations. Uh, I mean, a lot of them are, are not only credible, but, like, I've spoken mm-hmm. with, like, E. Jean Carroll, and, like, her story is so uh, descriptive mm-hmm. and clear, and mm-hmm. it's just, like, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to her. It was, like, you know, an hour-long interview or so, and, and I'm just, like, this is, this is true. Like, this is not, you can't make this up, and it was just his MO, and it's just, like, 
thing after thing after thing, I, I do believe that they should maybe consider all the evidence, everything against him in this you know impeachment trial. I don't think it should just be isolated to that one thing because they should look at the, the entire credit. Anyways, long story short, I think when people recognize that less than two dozen people stand in the way be, between uh, Trump being removed and not, um, that you know people are going to start to 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 wake up. Uh, that's that's my hope at, at least. You have your own uh, podcast. It's called Work in mm-hmm. Progress, right? Yes. And are, you've you've interviewed some awesome people. Are there a few that you want to point out? Oh my goodness! I mean, it's really run the gamut and been so much fun. From Gloria Steinem talking about things like this, politics, activism, the sort of moral arc of the universe, um, Chelsea Handler, who is just so funny and brilliant, uh, chef Kwame Onwache from Kith and Kin in DC, who wrote this incredible memoir notes from a young black chef who just has such interesting things to share about his journey in the food world. Um, I interviewed my friend Miles Adcox on world mental health day. He runs this phenomenal place called onsite and, and, and his, musings on how we can better take care of ourselves I know have really resonated with audiences um I had such a great time with Whitney Cummings I had such a phenomenal time talking about Queer Eye and all of its astounding success with Karamo Brown I mean every single person who's come on the show has just been such a joy I mean it's uh, I, I I love the podcast so and I don't listen to very many podcasts and there's a lot of people who know that, uh, especially <laughs> like Mark Marin. Like I, you know, that's one of the few few oh, folks that so I. Oh, so great! Yeah, that's that's uh, that's kind of how I modeled mine after is just you know again talking to interesting people that people need to be aware of if they aren't already or want to dig into more. Um, are there any kind of uh, thoughts you have, in, inspirational thoughts that you want to share with the world as we wrap up here? You know, I think. I think the world's a pretty special place. I think there are so many of us who are so lucky to be exposed to each other now through all of these avenues of technology, of innovation. We can support each other. We can show up for each other. And I think you see so many people caring about these big, deep issues because people care about each other. Those things make me feel inspired and uplifted. I I'm constantly amazed by my community. Um, I'm I'm so grateful to work across the industries I do, you know, in the podcast space, uh, in the entertainment space with such wonderful humans. And I just am excited for us to double down this year and, and show up for each other more and in even better ways because I think that's why you see so much tension about the state of the world and and politics in the everyday person right now because we really care about each other and so I know that it feels messy and I know that that can feel a bit discouraging but my hope is that we don't get discouraged that we actually look at this kind of teeming energy right now and realize that it's indicative of how much we really really do care about each other Sophia Bush you uh inspire me and you allow me to keep doing my work and, and it really is wonderful to have someone else in the game in the dirt and, and making sure that we're fighting the fight on a daily basis and all angles that, that are possible, you know, via your 
uh, whether it's your pod or whether it's online or whether um, it's in person speak speaking tours or, or anything that you're doing and I really appreciate all your hard work and your activism and the fact is you're making the world a better place and the world is better with you in it so uh, thank you again for taking the time here and I, I appreciate you uh, you know opening up with us and, and telling about uh, I am a voter.com make sure you visit it I am a voter.com um, but thank you again Sophia I appreciate your time thanks so much bud you're a rock star thanks for fighting the good fight Little did we know that we'd make a second recording to discuss the now all-consuming topic of how to deal with a national emergency quarantine during America's coronavirus epidemic within the greater pandemic of COVID-19 cases, yet here we are. Please take a listen to my most recent discussion with Sophia Bush. So Sophia, last time we talked, obviously the world's changed a bit since then, um, you know, since the last time we spoke, a lot of things have happened, uh, especially regarding the coronavirus. Um, so I wanted to see, you know, how are you doing and, uh, you know, how, how are you dealing with this crisis right now? I mean, it's very up and down. You know, it's a it's a really strange time. It's it's frightening. It's hard to watch the world suffer and especially, you know, as an American to watch America suffer and understand that it was needless, understand that the world knew that this was coming in January and that our leaders and our president did nothing uh, until March. And even what's being done is the very bare minimum to understand that the federal government is seizing supplies of ventilators and PPE that healthcare workers desperately need, and then figuring out how to raise market value for those things and sell them off when those federal stockpiles actually belong to us in these states. They belong to taxpayers. We're the ones who paid for them. It's upsetting. It's upsetting to know that PREDICT, which was the United States program that identified lethal viruses abroad to prevent their spread into the U.S., which had found over 1,200 viruses in the last 10 years was actively working in China and was shut down two months before the Wuhan outbreak because of Donald Trump's policies. These are hard things to wrap your head around, at least for me as, as a citizen. You know, we're, we're supposed to have adults in the room and we're supposed to have leaders who we can trust to tell us the truth. And, and now we have a quote leader who's on the news telling people to gamble um, and take an unproven medication that has proved fatal for more than one person in the U.S. so far that has complications that doctors are actively warning against because of the potential for fatality, it it adds up to really make it feel hard to get your head above the water. Um, but conversely, the things that amaze me are the people who are refusing to let this be the status quo, to look at governors who are stepping up for their states, um, you know, many of whom don't have perfect records, but who are doing far more than the president is right now. You know, you see what Cuomo's working on in New York. I'm incredibly impressed by both Gavin Newsom and Mayor Garcetti here in LA. I'm amazed by local organizations that are doing the work. My friend's restaurant Kismet is, has now turned itself into uh, a place where you can pick up healthy food boxes uh, and avoid the grocery store. I, I've seen um, the Rock and Wagger Bakery here in LA has transformed itself into 
a hospital kitchen and every day is sending meals out uh, to ERs and ICUs here in LA um, through the fundraising being done by Frontline Foods. I have friends who are making masks tirelessly to help support healthcare workers. I see people raising money to get PPE to healthcare workers who need it. You know, I'm I'm amazed at the way that people are coming together for their communities. And those things make me feel hopeful. I just, I really now more than ever wish that we had somebody steering the ship. Somebody responsible, I should say. And we, you, you're working with a lot of different groups. Are there any that you want to point out for, for people to help out? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the... The PPE stuff that varies so much from state to state, so right, it's hard right. to give kind of blanket information there. But I, I would definitely say to look at what the options are in your state. You know, some states are taking um, masks that folks are making and some states aren't. It just kind of depends. Uh, but I would say certainly that Frontline Foods is one of the great things that everybody can get behind. You know, um, Jose Andres is doing some really incredible work also. Uh, with Frontline and, and with one other organization, I think that, of course, I can't remember the name of right now. I feel like I'm, I'm scrambled with uh, all the groups who are trying to figure out how to triage and support. But it's pretty imperative that we make sure that we're taking care of our healthcare providers, hospital workers, doctors, nurses, um, the janitorial staff in hospitals who is really out there fighting to, you know, keep this virus from spreading in hospital rooms. Those folks need all the help they can get. So I think that whether, you know, you have the opportunity to financially support a a meal drop-off or, you know, cook food for your local hospital, those things really, really matter right now. Um, Also, I would really encourage folks to look at their local city's homeless populations and see the ways that they can be supportive. It's a very scary time for people suffering from homelessness. Right now, their lack of health care access, their current lack of shelter access is not to be understated. So, you know, my my best friends and I have taken um, to working together as a, as a group and we've sponsored a lunch delivery for the next once a week for the next four weeks to an ER and an ICU here in L.A. And also a bunch of us are out trying to be supportive of L.A.'s homeless community and go and do major pickups of food which help the restaurants that we care about so much um, and dropping them off to areas where there's large amounts of homeless people you know living it's not enough but at least it's something and I think we all have the power to do things like that in our cities and states and in our local communities Um, something else that I would really encourage everyone to do is to follow reform Uh, LA jails, if you're not already, they're doing incredible work here in LA, but they're also doing work with a lot of other jail reform organizations around the country. And we are at risk right now of losing 100,000 inmates to COVID because there's no potential for social distancing in our prison system. And many of the people who are in our prison system haven't been convicted of a crime. They're there simply because they couldn't afford to pay bail. And having made a mistake or being Being cash poor is not something that should sentence you to your death in a prison. It's incredibly wrong. Uh, Some states are working on getting these people out and some aren't. And it's an unfair 
way that the most vulnerable among us are not being prioritized. And so I would I would really encourage people to also get active for their incarcerated communities because again, this illness is not something that that can be taken lightly and and people who are disadvantaged really need our help and our advocacy right now. Right. And it could happen to anybody. You could be the one of the richest, most powerful people in the world, like Boris Johnson just was admitted to the ICU now, um, sadly, in, in the last few minutes. Um, mm. But a uh, question about, I guess you had mentioned hope. Um, parting message for folks, because you give me hope every day. And thank you. You're, you're saving lives just by spreading the message of social dis- or physical distancing and then also... Um, you know, everything that you're doing to, to promote things and then promote the social good that you're doing, uh, um, also keeping people busy with musical performances, um, not for you, but for your friends and, and uh, you know, everything you're doing to keep people entertained. It's really phenomenal work and you're really making a difference, especially with me. Um, take, take my mind off things and, and things like that. It's really, really important to be able to do that. And so thank you for all you do. Is there any... Uh, parting kind of positive message give me some hope here i think the stuff that makes me so hopeful is to your point really wrapped up in in the stuff that doesn't feel hopeful you know this this is such a scary illness this is what the pandemic office was responsible for finding before it was shut down again by the Trump administration. This is what the Gates Foundation has been talking to us about for a long time. We look at the occurrence of these zoonotic viruses um, in recent history. We look at, you know, the the occurrence of versions of these types of plagues, if, if you will, throughout human history. And what I will say is it's in the midst of that darkness that I find hope because at the moment, the entire world is focused on something. The entire world is focused on beating something together. We have been reminded so clearly that all of the ways in which we are encouraged or or shown to other each other, to look at people as different, none of it matters. This, this illness, your likelihood of dying, it knows no race, color, creed, gender. It it shouldn't matter what someone is or how someone is defined. And, and I think we're really being reminded right now that humanity in and of itself is precious, that we really are all in this together. And when I see, you know, kids doing drives for their local hospitals, when I see people changing over their factories to make masks, even though they haven't been ordered to under the DPA, when I see local restaurants just serving their local hospitals, when I see people taking care of their neighbors, grocery shopping for their elderly neighbors, checking in on their families, reconnecting with people that they haven't connected with because they've been, you know, quote unquote, too busy. This has really quickly, in my estimation, for all that's really bad, in, in the best ways, this has reminded us to reprioritize. And my hope for us is that coming out of this, we realize that the the fragility and the intrinsic connection of humanity, of our relationships on this planet, of our relationships to this planet, 
I, I really, really hope that we can hold on to the truths that we're seeing right now, which is that it takes all of us to solve something and that really we've got to have each other's backs. And my hope, while I know Corona as our common enemy is going to change things, my hope is that we let it change us for the better. My dog seems to agree. That's the first time she's made a noise in the last 30 minutes. Um, you know, I, I really, I really hope that we allow this to create some kind of new and equalized field that we all step onto together as, as we come out of this thing. Thanks again to Sophia Bush for taking the time to sit down for multiple interviews for this. Thanks again to our producer, Grant Stern. You can follow him at Grant Stern. You can visit our website at dorkandreport.com to listen to other episodes. Thanks again for listening. Keep resisting. Onward!